Hey there, product lovers. Welcome to the Product Love Podcast, hosted by Eric Bodick, co-founder and chief evangelist of Pendo and super fan of all things product. Product Love is the place for real insights into the world of crafting products as Eric interviews founders, product leaders, venture capitalists, authors, and more. So let's dive in now with today's Product Love podcast. Welcome, lovers of product. I am back with part two with Annalise from HP. Annalise, let's start today by talking about COVID because we're, we're in the midst of a pandemic, hopefully at, at the tail end now. But COVID's obviously significantly impacted the business landscape and in particular, the small business landscape. Talk to me about how that's changed things, how business owners are now adopting new technologies and skills to keep up and what that means too from a security standpoint, because that's become yeah. a big issue as more and more people are remote. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's amazing that we've kind of lived one of the biggest case studies real time in terms of, you know, what's been going on, especially for product leaders, you know, as we think about, you know, the four P's and what does it mean for forecasting and pricing and, and all of that, but ultimately really anchoring on customers and these insights that we've gathered during this time is what has, I think, fed us most importantly. And and hopefully that's where a lot of people have spent their time. I think the fact of you know, kind of, we talked about one life and the fact that, you know, as we look at customers and what they do on a day-to-day basis, everybody now has technology often integrated in something they do, whether they're in an office or whether they're at home or whether they're in different mobile locations or whatever. And this one life has kind of come to a head of, it used to be, I would say a bit more PC centric and a bit more Here's the tasks that you do when you're, you know, say working at home. And here's the things that you do when you're in an office or in a factory or something like that. But now it's this evolution of hybrid that has to kind of coexist all the time. So one life for what it means to me, what it means to you, what it maybe means to an engineer all has different meanings. And how we look at it for HP then is how do we enable the outcomes that customers, what what do they need to do? And what do they need to do now in this new hybrid ecosystem? And so, you know, COVID has accelerated uh, digital for sure in so many fronts, whether it's in the way that people's, you know, their meetings, their interactions, their collaboration, their workflow has happened. We've seen emergence of a number of um, mobile and app-based kinds of solutions, whether it's in the compute space or for us specifically in print, you know, we've seen 125% growth in mobile pages being scanned, for example. So some of the scanning apps that are on people's phones, we have one of the the biggest ones, about 50 million active monthly users for something called HP Smart. And because we get all that data, we have seen what's happened as people are digitizing some of their own workflows or where people need to have the capabilities to be able to scan and send documents, or they need to access documents from different kinds of places. And so what does that mean for storage? And then to your last point, which I think is one of the biggest ones, and this is across industries, is what does hybrid work mean for security? When we talk a lot about security in the past, I think people think about physical security and then maybe hacker you know, protection security of, say, a device. But really, for a while, we've been very focused at HP on it's the security of the data 
it's the security of the device and it's the security of the identity, right? Of the, the person, of the user. And with COVID, it's kind of turned it up. It's on its side. You know, you talk to CTOs or small business owners, they're like, look, I have people now working in these different locations. I want to be able to remotely manage and monitor what people are doing. And I don't mean the spying security. I'm not talking about that. Just the the workflow of where things are getting stuck, how a document is protected in privacy and who's allowed to print it or not. Or, hi, I'm a CTO or a business owner and I've got people who we've outfitted with computers and printers and things to do their jobs, but we want to be able to charge the costs you know, the job accounting to our clients. And some of that printing, for example, is a really important piece in the legal industry or the real estate industry or whatever. So how can they do job accounting and security is a part of that. And, you know, the connectivity that's there and the protection on if somebody's on a home network or someone is at a work network. And so there's a number of tools that we've continued to invest or quite frankly, accelerate around this security need. And we're doing it real time in many cases because we'll do those roundtables with the business owners themselves and take that feedback directly to the engineering and software teams and say, okay, how can we get this kind of stuff on the roadmap and evolve that, you know, over time. And and that's a new muscle as we work on, you know, some of the pivot with more services and uh, software solutions as well. So some, tell me some of the data. I'm, I'm a big data guy, so I love to hear it. I love to hear like that scanning app and how much mobile scanning has changed. What, what yeah. other things have you seen change from pre-COVID to post-COVID as far as, yeah. you know, are we printing more pages at home? I would guess yes, right? Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. So we've got, a you know, over 100 million devices out there as an install base that have that data with customer's approval of privacy, of course, so that we can see those trends, right? And what's happening. So there's data from the computers, from the, the printers, and from the app itself, and also from services like Instant Ink. It's a, Instant Ink is, you know, the printer is smart enough to know, based on you, Eric, here's the days that you print, or here's what you do, and here's what we anticipate, because here's the amount of pages you're doing, and then send you the cartridge when it's time so that you don't have to deal with it, takes out the hassle, those kinds of things. And we can see, yes, home printing, and we saw it in the United States when country lockdown started. We saw it in different European countries when the lockdown started, you know, literally day by day, week by week. So we could use that information in terms of what we did upstream for how we plan manufacturing and forecast, because if in homes, there's more inkjet printers at work, there's more laser printers, right? And so we had to use a lot of that data when we were looking at usage. And yes, no question, people are printing more in the home during COVID than they were in the past. I think as we also have done lots of surveys and pieces of even by day, you know, there's some how are people looking at what they do on a weekend or on a school, right? Some school patterns in certain states, you know, when they went from all digital back to some hybrid and, you know, which kinds of things were happening when schools put in the capability with Google Docs or teachers were actually using some of those kinds of ecosystems. You could see where print was happening in a lot of the retention-based pieces and documents over two pages where it was different for, say, the permission slip form that someone would scan and upload, for example, you know, faster and not have to print. Yeah, um, you mentioned something interesting, too, about time, right? I imagine you can, 
in some ways, see the hours people are working based upon their history with devices at an aggregate level. Are we seeing what we hear a lot about is that work life has completely blurred, that people are yeah. working all kinds of crazy hours now because of COVID? Yeah, I think it differs around the world. You know, all the studies we've done externally and then some of the view that we've learned as a company is productivity is definitely up because people are working more right? Especially if you look at the segments of knowledge workers and things like that, where people are kind of always connected and you kind of saw the surge of what happened over time. I think when COVID started and lockdowns went into place, productivity kind of went through the roof because I think a lot of folks were thinking, okay, I'm going to do this for a while. And then we go back to the office. I think there's great things from that, but then you started to see employee challenges in different companies where they needed relief, right? You've seen now many companies kind of figured out, oh, you know, Adobe takes every fourth Friday off, or yeah, we yeah. have things at HP of no meetings Fridays, depending on the different teams and workflows. And a lot, so, of, a lot of tech companies doing mental yeah, health days. You know, yeah, because it's insane, right? And and we know from research about kids and things too is more and more screen time is not necessarily good. How do you deal with the Zoom fatigue and the rest of it? And, and sometimes it's interesting. That's where sometimes print plays a role because people can get off screens and do some other things and come back. But the data that's continued to really emerge and some of this acceleration you mentioned on digital, the other thing is productivity of how complex is something to do, especially if in the old model, it was a whole physical process or it took 17 steps to do something. Automation now is helping, or at least digital is helping in some cases where new tools, we, we've been focused on just to reduce the number of steps it takes to do something. You know, some of the new products that we've introduced, we built kind of all the software in such a way so that there's easy web apps built into the devices themselves, sometimes with a front panel. So if somebody has a document or a contract or something like that that they've had to review, they can just go straight, you know, scan to cloud and all the apps and the hook-ins are built in so that, you know, you don't have to scan it, deal with your PC or a USB drive or whatever, figure out what folder it needs to go to and whatever. So that's where we've also been focused on productivity you know, with some of the new offerings, because they can even customize them themselves inside the app to say, okay, I'll do this task. I want it to go here, here, and here. And then every time they can do the app with one button, that activity happens. So being more productive isn't always implied when we say digital, because it also has to do with the ecosystem around it, right? At the company or, or whatever too. You know, on the remote work model, what, what do you think is going to happen in the future? Like, are, are we going to go back to an office culture? Is there going to be a hybrid work yeah. model? Is it going to be partially remote? Are companies going to split? You know, what do you yeah. see happening? And, and how is that going to affect, you know, your business? Because you yeah. just mentioned, you know, as a case in point, people use inkjet mostly at home, laser at work. Yeah. I'm sure that creates supply chain problems if all of a sudden there's a huge shift from exactly. one type to another. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I would say, especially as product leaders, our muscle flex for scenario planning has been like the utmost testing this year for those exact reasons, because how you look at your near-term, mid-term, long-term planning and where you anchor your assumptions is really important for us across, and we work across HP on this, not just in print, but you know across our services business and across computing as well, is very much hybrid. It, and it does look different by country and it does 
company culture obviously has an influence on how modern someone is thinking about can hybrid work for them or not. Obviously, what's been accelerated here this year is there were companies who said there's no way anyone could ever work at home. Well, that's been disproven in in many ways, right? But it also, in many cases, because of that employee engagement with their company, with their colleagues, or how do you collaborate, right? One of the first things we figured out with engineers, so any company that builds anything or sells anything or puts anything together, that collaboration face-to-face is sometimes required. So that's why we think hybrid is really the space where people will be coming into offices depending on their job type. If you're an engineer and you're making physical goods or sometimes even software things, you may need space to tinker with devices, to pull out boards and firmware interactions and testing. If you're doing quality testing, if you're doing any mechanical or electronic you know, kind of work, if you need to test a 3D manufacturing line, you have to do that stuff face-to-face. And so we look at it more as the segmentation and personas of it's a blended view because you've got different functions that need to come in and work together. You've also got employee engagement that maybe you may have call center folks at home, but you may have people all in the city of Chicago or in Dublin who want to come together and have a monthly town hall, right? Or a social event or an interaction with a customer. You come in then and have workspace for that. So the configuration of the workspace, I think, is going to change a lot. Not dedicated, tethered one-to-one desks for employees, but you know, hot desking, and collaboration space that can be easily monitored and booked and checked out. And then for our business, what that means is if we're going to design for that hybrid environment and we're going to design experiences for these different customers' segments, right, for these personas of the kind of work they do, then that'll change the way we look at our device optimization and the services we offer for customers and also just the process automation and workflow, to what can be enabled. In the compute space, can you imagine what will happen, right? Some people will be in an office and some people may be at home or in a different country. How do you enable the best virtual collaboration when there's physical and digital, right? To be efficient and to have employees be engaged. For printing, we may not need as many huge devices as maybe like copier central locations and stuff at the same time versus you need access to something because you've got collaboration workspaces, right? Across some different locations. So you might need smaller footprint printers, but with all the capabilities that you can still scan and, you know, file and route, you know, documents as part of a process. So it's, it is anchored, I think, very much on thinking about the customer experience in the hybrid world. How do we keep them secure? How do we keep them sustainable in doing that and the flexibility to move around so you'll have more of a personalized experience as an end user, whether you walk into a WeWork typeset co-working space, whether you're at your own corporate office and therefore you'd have more access, more you know, behind the firewall versus if you're at home and that persona that's tied to you if you need to access online or get physical output. So you talked about digital and digital transformation and in some of your answers uh, to the last few questions. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit more specifically about that. You know, who owns digital transformation at different companies, especially the, you know, the larger companies? Is it IT driven? Is it product driven? Uh, where do you see these things being driven? 
that's a great question. I think a lot of people are in a different spot in that journey. I'm a huge believer that everybody has to own transformation in a company. If we don't all get to a level where we understand the basic concepts, let's say, of digital transformation, what are the building blocks around security, around data access, around what tools like machine learning and AI can provide us? And that's both in conducting business, but also in the products and solutions we offer our customers. Everything will be in the cloud. Everything will be a service. So if we know that that's directionally where the world is headed, how do we then design the transformation to do that? Agile, right, comes up a lot. I did not come from an engineering background, but had an opportunity for a couple of years to run our software and solutions for print with a few thousand engineers. And I had to learn a lot about Agile and what does that mean? What does it mean to have a foundation or a platform where then you have these sprints and short opportunities to add features, to evolve? What are the connective tissue and how quickly you can roll things out and at what pace and try and learn and maybe fail and make changes. And what we've taken that learning, I think, from the maybe software world and applied it now, like many companies are starting to across transformation, is how can you get into things like enterprise business planning? And what does that mean then for product portfolio planning? What does it mean for engineering? What does it mean for analytics, not just running our business now, but predicting that in the couple of quarters to come? How do you use that prediction to drive supply chain and optimizing where the things you can automate, right? Because today you have lots, people have lots of analysts and bodies and functions across that. What can you automate? But then what else is it that can kind of drive a step function, you know, towards that future state? Because as you think about moving ahead to subscriptions and these other things... Talk to me more about the, the transformation principles, because I mean, I think it's even in your bio that you write you're an early adopter of tech and yeah. transformation yeah. principles yeah. for the yeah. enterprise. Talk to me about that experience of transforming enterprises, where they yeah. struggle, what they're doing well, yeah. and who inevitably does that, you know, you say everyone needs to be involved in the process, but who's the one that, you know, is kind of, who's on the line, so to who's speak? On the, line. Who's yeah. the chairman or the CEO coming and saying like, you're, yeah. you're the driving force behind our digital transformation at yeah. you know, XYZ Fortune 1000 company. Right, right. I'll start with that answer first. So most companies who are taking this seriously have a person, a neck to choke as a transformation officer. Almost everyone that I see doing it well, we have one at HP also, is there does have to be some connective tissue of who owns the plan because it does touch everyone's job, whether you're in the business, the functions or whatever, has to be supported by the CEO. A CEO has to have transformation or being comfortable with the uncomfortable approach in terms of setting an agenda. And then some of the principles part, you know, we've been on this journey for a couple of years, so I can share some of my observations. IT has a key and critical role, particularly for companies that did not start out digital first. You know, we've been around 80 years, you know, it's a very different process when you had countries around the world where you had to start collecting data. You're talking about product shipments and sell-through and pricing. And I mean, there's so much connective tissue that has to happen behind the scenes. And 
you can imagine over the years, people have SAP, people have different tools, people are using Salesforce and CRM, you know, tools in the Salesforce. How do you get that all together so that you do have a foundation of enterprise, you know, an enterprise business planning set of tools? We're working with SAP and S4 in a big project called Simplify. So for us, that IT agenda tied to enterprise business planning was one of the first kind of fundamental pieces is where's all the data? Where are the data lakes? Who are the subject matter experts? And how do we get that sorted? And that continues today. It's not overnight, especially for a large company. I think another foundation principle that we did work with some consultants on externally is this idea of zero-based budgeting is fundamental, I think, in thinking about transformation. It's very easy for groups to say, here's my budget this year, or here's how many shipments I have this year, or here's my strategy. And therefore, it's this much growth year on year, or I need this many resources year on year, things like that. If you really want to drive transformation, particularly now, right? Shifting to as a service, subscriptions, things that are disruptive in your own business, you have to do zero-based budgeting, which is if you stopped everything today, the first question is, what do you need to keep the lights on? That's the real practical conversation of what is required to do the lights on. Then the next thing you put in the stack is nothing about run rate. It's what are your top strategies, one through 20 or whatever projects that need to be funded. And you fill that funnel first with the strategic things. Then let's say the cut line is there, right? Where your budget is or the initiatives. It's the rest of that that typically ends up being huge shorter term transformation opportunities, either in efficiencies, in trade-offs and choice points, because even in how you look at budgeting, that's not what people naturally do because everyone always builds on like you're on your growth rates and things like that. So, so, so that's you're a really just talking about like, instead of, you know, being incremental changes to the budget, you're talking about radically redefining yeah. how you're allocating assets within the company. Correct. On, on the one hand, some people say like, oh, maybe that sounds simple. A lot of companies don't always do it that way. I do think startups and small businesses tend to be a bit better at that because they're their livelihood may be very clear in terms of what they're doing, and they may be part of what's disrupting. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a lot industries. easier to do incremental, right? If you knew yeah. you shipped out, you know, 2,000 printers last year, and this yeah. year you're going to ship 3,000 printers, well, exactly. you have an idea of what you need for a shipping budget to ship, you know, the extra 1,000 printers. But exactly. if you're redefining that and saying, hey, you know, we're now going to do print from the cloud, and you're going to pick up yeah. paper, you know, it just changes everything about your fundamental assumptions. You can't right. build things incrementally. Right. And a lot of times, too, we've used this framework the last couple of years that's helped is, you know, you kind of have three waves, right? When you think about strategy and budgets and stuff as well is in your core business, you shouldn't have more than 65, 70% of your budget having anything to do with your core. A lot of times companies have 90% or 95% of their budget in core. And if you are really trying to transform to invest, you know, for us, it's microfluidics and 3D printing. And as a service, you've got to put your money behind those things or they'll never get off the block. Now, different companies do different things like keep some of it as LLCs or how do you keep it walled off so it's protected and doesn't get into the vortex if somebody's dealing with cost cutting. But so zero-based budgeting is another one. Applying agile, as I said, across work streams and also how quickly you can pivot to some of the new metrics, no matter how small the business is, right? If being in a subscription, for example, those metrics on 
subscriptions, businesses are very different than subscriptions of how many printers do you ship per year or how much market share do you have, right? So we've had to really work to both in terms of what it, you know, benchmarking externally, what it means in different businesses, what is, you know, the more we had to learn about subscriptions and go look over the last couple of years with, you know, Netflix and, you know, just different models of trying to understand scope, scale, pricing, monthly active users, churn rate. And that's different, right? In transformation for people who run other big businesses, even in COVID, which are growing or have done very well, but you know, it's still not the same as what's transformative to what's next. At, yeah, and now, and now, I mean, you, we saw obviously digital transformation was already an important topic for most, if not all, large companies. But now, because of COVID and this push, you know, that the impact it's had on remote and the digital world, that's got to have just accelerated pretty much everyone's movement to, you know, being more cloud based, being more digital. How have you seen that impact clients of HP? Mm. Our estimates, I, I think Bill Gates gave some numbers as well, but you know, we talk about things accelerated probably five years in terms of the, the needs for security, the needs for more workflow and digital tool sets for people and how to figure out processes real time. I think the, the piece around digital for how people do business, I think, and, and I guess maybe from the product portfolio lens, has to be looked across the entire customer life cycle as well. So yes, it's talking to customers and getting input about what it is that they need to do. What does hybrid mean to them? I mentioned the experiences earlier. What If we assume hybrid is here to stay, then how do those personas evolve in terms of what we have to enable? But also, what are all the touch points that you interact with your customers now in the hybrid world as well. Because a lot of times people think about innovation only in products, right? Hardware, software. But there's a lot of innovation around customer service and support now where, you know, look how much chat has grown and what if people are able to learn all of that data and have one customer ID so that if you call in for service and support, you don't have to start over every time because they already know, you know, hey, you called in last year and you had a question about your Windows upgrade, or I see that you have this product and you know, you've had it for 30 days, so we don't have to spend any more time talking about how we solve your problem because we know the next step already. Customer touch points. It's also in go-to-market, right? And to serve customers, we've got to be more digital first in the way that we think about things, not just for chat and things like that, but how do you demo products How do you, you know, virtual demos, how do you have the same kind of experience that's not just watching a video, but something more easy doing a virtual demo when it's software, but when you're trying to show a bicycle or what have you, demos become a lot more difficult. Yeah, we've learned a lot, I think, from software demos, but it is exactly that. How do you have virtual presentations that don't just feel like Zoom calls, you know, oh, I know people who are getting really crafty on, you know, you see things on LinkedIn and other places, but virtual events that are very well done and how do customers interact and feel like they get a personal touch or a personalized experience from someone or a brand, but are living sometimes in a physical world and sometimes digitally? How is it consistent across omni-channel, right? People, when they're online, Oh, but they actually do go to the Best Buy and want to touch it or feel it or, you know, look at what's on a 
a device or, or some other kind of product, or a huge growth that's happened now in the US and Europe is order online and pick up in store. You can see yes. inventory management and how well it's being done, you know, because you can see your zip code. Do they have any inventory near you or not? Well, if Best Buy or Staples or, or people like that are using their data in the right way, they can also optimize. So there's got to be a so whole many... business around people picking up stuff that you've ordered now and is available yeah. curbside. Yeah. It's going to yeah. kick off, you know, like little Uber pickup service. Because... Exactly. You know, all your food delivery. I mean, so being more digital and understanding all the touch points of serving customers is, you know, it can't just be a specialized group of people or part of the strategy team. It, again, it has to be infused in kind of everyone's job. You know, now you've talked about kind of this, you know, as things are moving hybrid, there's a lot more done at home. There's more printing done at home. There's going to be, you know, I mean, taking just the HP print category, there's going to be more printers, I imagine, in people's homes now moving forward and, and less at the office if we're moving to this hybrid model, which raises this question of sustainability too, right? Especially mm. for small and medium, mm. you know, sized businesses. How do you guys guide people, you know, on sustainability, on yeah. managing costs and energy consumption? How has that affected HP's thinking? Yeah, this is a really important area and it's growing in importance. We saw I think Google had the data during the first three months of COVID. Sustainability grew over a thousand percent as a search term <laughs> in general. Not, I mean, in many, many categories. You know, how can I be more sustainable? Because then everyone's getting their Amazon packages at home, or, you know, what do I do with all of this? And so it's a really important question. We've had sustainability initiatives for over 30 years inside of our agenda and corporate focus, you know, so this isn't new. I mean, Bill and Dave, this was kind of fundamental of, we need to take care of shareholders, customers, and employees as part of this. And sustainability then became for us, you know, it's how can we help planet and people and communities. And now knowing that people have shifted to say that, Right now, I think our statistic shows 87% of people who are buying printers care about sustainability in their decision. So people are thinking about it. It's front and center. And that's been kind of where we're focused. Now, all the supply chain pieces, the we upcycle a million plastic bottles a day just in our ink cartridges, for example. And so they're over 95% recycled plastic. We've got plastic, paper, you know, all of those kinds of goals and initiatives. But where we've pivoted to even more so is helping people make sure that we have solutions that are carbon neutral and that are forest positive. And forest positive is really about how we work with the paper vendors, we work with our solutions, and we work with other third parties so that all of the practices and, you know, on reforestation efforts and everything else is actually replenishing more than is being used. So we brought some solutions lately to the market on a solution called HP Plus. And what Forest Positive does that's actually tied to the end user is we have customers opt in. And when they opt in as part of HP Plus during their printer setup, we have a cloud-enabled ecosystem I talked about with Instant Ink and those products where a customer's print volume determines the amount we fund the restoration projects and the investment needed, all based on science-based targets as part of that. And then we are investing that same amount 
to cover all of the pages that go through our printers and more. And so forest first, forest positive is what we're focused on. So there's zero deforestation when you print with HP+. The carbon neutral part is a big deal for many of our customers. And so we launched the first carbon neutral services last August in the industry so that all the managed print services, we have the digital tools that go with the customers to assess their environment, to look at what are being used, not used, how can they optimize their fleet, and that way that they can engage and purchase those services, basically, so that they can be carbon neutral. And a lot of folks are looking at their own way that they serve their customers because they want to be in that space of being more sustainable in the way that they conduct business, right? If they want to green their own businesses from the grounds up, their equipment choices are really important. We've grown HP this year. There were over $2 billion in sales that were based on choices around sustainability. And that's growing in big amounts year on year. And so We take this really serious, whether it's ocean-bound plastic or the supply chains themselves, reducing water, being carbon neutral by 2040 and putting all the pieces in place. And we're going to have to keep pushing, you know, to lead here, both with government engagements, engagements with folks like World Wildlife Fund and others so that, you know, we're, and it's not just doing our part and we need to do more than that, quite frankly. Yeah, wow. I mean, there's lots of great discussion again today, and we're already at the end of a second episode. So, <laughs> you know, as we're as we're wrapping this up, you know, I have one final question for you personally. Like, you mm-hmm. know, you've obviously seen a lot, you've done a lot. I'm kind of curious, what are three words to describe yourself? Oh, goodness sakes. That's right. I forgot you were going to ask me that. So one word is transparent. What you see is what you get. Passionate and fun. So those are the three big ones for me. The transparency one, I think, is uh, it's kind of how we live and breathe every day. It's my one life in terms of who I am at work, who I am in my life is is the same person. And being able to kind of have that front and center that way, it's a lot easier to I think it's uh, it's a great word. It's it's one of our core (laughs) values at Pendo, transparency. And it has an amazing impact on a company, you know, having transparency as a core value. And I can see that being good as a, as a human being, too. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's just much easier, right? In the way that we conduct business, in the way that we have our, you know, relationships with the people and the world around us. And it's also easier, right? It's easier. You don't have to have multiple, you know, agendas or personas, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's just yeah. easier. No, I might, the hard drive in my head is full all the time. So there's only one version of me that I can be and transparent is just easier. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate your time again today. Thanks, Annalise. Yep. Thanks so much, Eric. Have a great rest of your day. Yeah.